What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Locked On Nittany Lines, your Penn State podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. We have a lot of stuff to get into in today's episode because there's a lot of stuff that has been happening over the course of the last few days, and we need to tackle everything one by one. So sit back, relax, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or any other way that you listen to podcasts. Odds are we're available on that. So make sure you're subscribed. Rate and review. It does help us out as we continue to try and grow the show moving forward, and we just genuinely appreciate to hear what you guys have to say. We also want to invite you, as always, to be a part of our show by sending in your questions, sending in your comments to us on Twitter, at LockedOnNittany. Don't forget our Facebook page is at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. And we are on Instagram at Instagram.com slash LockedOnNittany. If you're a Twitch user, stay tuned. We've got some information that's going to come up later in this episode about our Twitch channel. It's Twitch.tv slash LockedOnNittany if you want to get ahead of the gang and be ready for when we go live there. Anyway, that's all for me. Let's go ahead and get today's episode underway. So last week on the podcast, we wondered aloud when exactly Penn State was going to begin welcoming back student-athletes to participate in some off-season workouts and practices. Now, since our last podcast went live on the platform, we got the good news that Penn State was opening the doors for those players to start beginning return in part of a phase return, as we're seeing across the country with a lot of different schools and universities right now. Uh, kind of expecting everybody back all at once, but they're going to bring people back in phase and allow them to go through the kind of before they can actually participate in those uh, off-season conditionings and workouts. So, the as Penn State put out, it was actually starting Monday, the other day, Penn State be officially began their phase return with 75 football players being among the first to be able to come back and go through the uh, the routines that they're going to have to go through. They're following CDC guidelines, they're going through, uh, staying in accordance with all the local government guidelines, of course, tracking and testing, daily health screening, enhanced cleaning of the facilities, all that good stuff to make sure that when players are coming back, they're coming back into a clean and healthy and sterilized uh, environment, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, of course, uh, every school is taking the proper precautions, it seems. And as we've seen across the country already so far, a number of schools have reported some positive cases from players that are starting to come back, or not necessarily just players, but people associated with the various athletic departments and maybe football programs. Some schools haven't exactly shared the specifics of those uh, cases, nor should they. I think there is a need to have some privacy when it comes to anything medically related. Uh, so it's not a real surprise that we don't know names of people and we can't say for sure that these are football players or uh, members of a training staff or just support staff, whatever the case may be, they're associated with the athletic department. Uh, as of now, as the time of recording this, we haven't seen any of that come out regarding Penn State. doesn't mean that we won't, but it is uh, always a good sign when you get through the first couple of days and you haven't had those kind of stories come out. Uh, so hopefully that continues to be the case. Uh, obviously, if there is a change in that and somebody does come out and test positive, 
then it's going to be very important to make sure that the proper guidelines and the proper procedures are being followed by everybody, not just uh, whoever may uh, uh, be impacted directly by the virus. But like I said, as of now, no cases coming out or no word or reports saying that there's been a positive test coming in through Penn State at this time. So again, we'll hope that that continues to be the case as Penn State continues to move through their offseason, which is a very weird offseason, but everybody's trying to do what they can do. Uh, so play, when players do return, they go through a quarantine uh, until they are given the green light, basically, to return to those voluntary off-season workouts and you know practices uh, and those practices and workouts will begin on June 15th so players reporting now they go through quarantine for a week and you know, make sure they go through the proper testing and checking and once it's determined that they are clear of the virus they've got a negative uh, test and everything they can go ahead and beginning June 15th they can continue to work in some off-season conditioning which is good I mean I think uh, you know, this has certainly been a bizarre offseason and every school is going to be affected by this in some way to some degree. And we're seeing now schools are getting a chance to get back to some sense of normalcy, uh, even though it's not very normal. And of course, this is going hand in hand with the fact that the state of Pennsylvania has continued to improve the status of every county throughout the state. Uh, a lot of counties got a chance to go into the yellow phase, uh, as was the case in my home area. And the Philadelphia region, we got a, got a chance to go into that yellow phase, which is always a step in the right direction. Still a long way to go, I think, before we get back to actual normal everyday life. But, uh, you know, getting a chance to you know go and do some of the things that we haven't been able to do for a while, uh, it's always good. So we continue to still be playing things by ear and kind of adjusting the way we do things moving forward. And, of course, that's going to be the same for Penn State uh, the, as a university and as an athletics department and, of course, as a football program. But uh, players getting a chance to come back, get in some workouts and use the facilities, that's a step in the right direction. And, of course, it's just one step along the way to getting to the start of the college football season. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar. Now, you guys know for the last month or so, I've been going on and on about just how much these Built Bars have opened my eyes to the fact that there are actually protein bars out there that I enjoy eating. One of the biggest challenges of trying to eat healthy or trying to snack healthy is finding a protein bar that's going to keep you full and satisfied, but also tastes good. And for the longest time, I struggled to find the right one. Well, Built Bar came along at just the right time for me because they sent me a sample pack of a variety of different flavors, and I fell in love with that orange cream Built Bar. You know it's my favorite flavor. I can't say enough about that every time I get the chance. But I want to make sure that you guys are aware of it. Now, they've got a variety of flavors. They've added some new flavors recently. So there's something for every taste out there. They're tasty. They're healthy. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors and counting. You've got nut flavors, you got nut-free flavors, 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew, and you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. I've lost a good number of pounds during our self-isolation period, and I think the Built Bar coming along at the right time is a little bit of a reason why. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, you can go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you're going to get $10 off your first order. So use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. We've had the discussion more times than I can count at this point about whether or not the start of the college football season is going to be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic that we continue to kind of address. I know it's kind of taken a backseat to 
a certain degree, given the, the current state of affairs around the country over the past week or so. But the COVID-19 outbreak is still out there and it's still being controlled and it's still being battled <laughs> in many degrees. And as I said before, more and more states are beginning to feel comfortable opening up more and more, certainly here in Pennsylvania. And of course, that's going to have a direct impact on what schools like Penn State and Pittsburgh and Temple and the state schools, how they go about their upcoming fall semesters. And of course, as we talk about on this podcast, the college football season. Now, from the start of all this, I felt pretty comfortable in suggesting that the college football season was going to start at the same time. We were going to have the schedule uh, be minimally changed, maybe a couple adjustments here and there. But I think for the most part, and certainly as far as Penn State was concerned, I felt pretty good that by the time the season was ready to get started, it was going to get started without a hitch. That opinion kind of waned a little bit as t more and more time went by, but now I'm starting to go back to those regular feelings about uh, be feeling confident that the season's going to start uh, without any further delays. Now, just recently, the NCAA has put together their preseason plan, which is going to be reviewed by the Division I Football Oversight Committee this Thursday. And it does seem as though there's a lot of support and there's a lot of optimism that this plan for a preseason schedule is basically going to move on to the next stage and become official. It's already making the rounds to be reviewed by the different schools and I guess with the conferences as well. But it seems as though uh, there's a, a there's a good enough support to suggest that this is going to happen, and that's always a good sign too because now we have an official calendar outline of how schools can go about their preseason workouts and the preseason training camps. And of course, it all depends on when your season actually starts. So if you start in week one, you've got a certain starting date opening phase that you can go with. If you start in week zero, you can start a little bit earlier. Uh, so these are all kind of the smaller details. That, but I think this is a, a good sign to suggest that we are moving forward uh, with a college football season that's going to start on time. Now, this has no impact on how schools are going to operate on a game day. For instance, uh, it has no regulations about how many fans are going to come into the stands. And that's something that still has to be sorted out, I guess, on a school-by-school -school basis. We've already seen a couple schools that come out uh, and suggest that they're very likely to limit how many fans can attend games, including Ohio State and I believe Illinois. Still waiting to see what Penn State does to address this. I think they're still trying to figure everything out themselves right now, trying to see how comfortable fans are feeling about different scenarios in play. But that's all stuff that can be sorted out uh, a little bit further on down the line and you know, cer certainly in the back of whatever's going on with the NCAA. Getting back to that point, the ideas that are being thrown out there with this calendar, and I'll link to it on our Twitter feed if you haven't seen it yet. I know Sports Illustrated had a great, uh, breakdown of this and a couple other uh, outlets as well have covered it to, in pretty good detail at this point. But the basic gist is you're going to get six weeks to prepare for the start of the season. Now, whether or not you can utilize all six weeks, that remains to be seen. And again, that'll be on a school-by-school -school basis. Uh, some schools may not be able to use all six weeks, ideally, the way that it would traditionally be. But the NCAA is putting out an outline where summer workouts can begin as early as July 6th with up to 20 hours per week. That's you know kind of falling into the same line of a traditional off-season in many degrees. And the six weeks is pretty important because that seemed to be the general number that a lot of coaches around the country were suggesting that they were going to need in order to start 
uh, getting ready for the college football season and having their players prepared both physically and mentally, I guess, and, and you know, as far as practices are concerned and all season workouts are concerned, that's the about the time frame that a lot of coaches seem to feel was needed. Uh, I think James Franklin was among those who said somewhere between four and six weeks. And obviously, if you get a little bit more time, that's always going to be better. I know uh, Clay Helton at USC was on board with six weeks. I think Brian Kelly at Notre Dame suggested six weeks too. So uh, six weeks seemed to be the general timeline that a lot of coaches were hoping to be able to get, especially since you didn't have a lot of spring practices. Uh, I know there were some spring practices for some schools, and uh, some schools got started with spring practices. Uh, Of course, Penn State did not uh, get a full spring practice, didn't get a spring game. Uh, so getting six weeks uh, to get reacclimated with your players and your coaches, especially at a program like Penn State, we've got so many new coaches coming in. It's going to be good to have six weeks to get ready if you can officially go ahead with six weeks. Again, school by school basis. But each school will get four weeks of practice before their respective season opener. So again, if you start in uh, season, if you start in week one, then you'll get four weeks of training camp leading up to that first week of the season. Now, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that all plays out too because some schools will be at a little bit of a disadvantage because they've adjusted their academic calendars. So typically you can get uh, more hours of training camp uh, time before schools actually open. But with some schools opening up a little bit earlier for their fall semester, then they have to play by the rules for a certain number of hours per week, uh, which I think is 20, if I'm not mistaken. But basically, you get four hours of training camp. You get a couple weeks of uh, off-season conditioning practices. You know, not quite full practices, but uh, you get a couple weeks to get players physically ready for the start of training camp, which is what I think a lot of coaches were hoping to be able to get. Uh, so again, the details are still being sorted out for what's going to happen on game day. Uh, uh, that's going to be probably something entirely separate of what the NCAA is going to go ahead and move forward with. The Division One Council, the, the Division One Council, <laughs> will vote and approve this at their next meeting, which uh, reportedly will be on June seventeenth. So next Wednesday is when this off-season calendar will be finalized and approved and then every school can start going ahead and planning around that as far as their football practices are concerned but like i said details for what's going to happen on actual game days that's probably going to be something that's decided at a later time uh hopefully soon but (laughs) i think there's a lot of discussion on how that's going to change as well uh for instance if you're still trying to enforce social distancing you know that a college football sideline it's not the best place for that. <laughs> and you know, forget about what happens in the stands. If you're worried about just the players and the coaches, uh, there's not a whole lot of social distancing that's built in on the condensed area on a sideline. And some schools have uh, less room on those sidelines than others. Uh, but one idea is to extend how far those sidelines will be on the, si- on the uh, side of the field. And that's probably the easiest way to go about it. Uh, but again, some schools don't exactly have a lot of breathing room uh, on, this, on, the, on the field. And, and there are some schools where a visiting band will come in and they'll have to be on the field as well. So I would imagine that's going to be, uh, we'll probably see fewer marching bands travel <laughs> to games, I would suggest, uh, this season. Which is a shame because I always like when the visiting band comes and adds something add some of its flavor to the college football environment. I always think that's cool. I know you know, probably doesn't rub a lot of people the right way, but that's something I always enjoy. But yeah, I would just thought about that. I don't think we're going to see a lot of marching bands going to visiting games this year, which will be a shame because that's part of the, the college football atmosphere. 
Uh, and of course, uh, what do you do with team meetings? Uh, will, co- will coaches have to be wearing face masks? I know, um, you know, I'm, I'd be very curious to see if players are going to be uh, asked to wear face masks. I, I know, you know, certainly for practices, uh, you know, I think FAU had somebody put together a whole bunch of face masks for all their players at practices, which is pretty cool. But I can't imagine that wearing a mask while playing football is an ideal thing. Again, nothing about this is ideal. That's unfortunate. And that's probably pretty obvious, but I'll be very curious to see if there are any other guidelines that ends up coming out of uh, these discussions that are going to continue to happen by the Football Oversight Committee and obviously uh, representatives around the NCAA as they continue to try and address how to go about bringing football back and playing football as scheduled while still ensuring the safety of its players, coaches, trainers, other staff members, and, and then, of course, the fans as well. All right, coming up in our final segment, I have some news and notes to run through real quick for you. Some Penn State stuff, some college football preview stuff, and a couple other news and notes I've taken a note of over the last couple of days I'm going to share with you guys. Coming up in our final segment of today's podcast. This is the Locked On Nittany Alliance podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Locked On Nittany. Don't forget to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Locked On Nittany. All right, I'm going to close out this particular podcast by just running through a couple of different items that I had jotted down to at least mention on the podcast. We'll run through them pretty quickly. Not going to waste a whole lot of time on it. But one thing I did not get a chance to mention on the podcast yet is the news regarding Michael Parsons, Penn State linebacker. I'm telling you, he's going to be the player that is highlighted week in and week out during Penn State's football season. And you can expect to hear his name on a good handful of watch lists that are going to be coming out as we get started closer to the start of the college football season. Well, the Lot Impact Trophy tends to be the award that puts out its watch list the earliest, and they did so recently. And to the no surprise, Michael Parsons was named to the watch list for the Lot Impact Trophy. This is a defensive award, goes to the Defensive Impact Player of the Year, as they call it. And it's basically an award based on defensive performance on the field, in the classroom, as a leader, team leader, uh, leadership in the community, integrity, a lot of uh, good sportsmanship values that go along with being considered a Lot Impact Trophy Award winner or candidate or watch list player, however you want to describe it. So there's a lot of good uh, characteristics that go into play here, and that's always a good sign. Being associated with this kind of watch list, it's a, it's a real character definer because the players that are on this list are going to be held in some high regard. And, of course, Michael Parsons is a very talented defensive player, so it's not really a surprise that he would be on an award watch list that goes to one of the top defensive players in the country. So we'll see where this goes. But only one Penn State player has won this award. That was Carl Nassib back in 2004. Other past winners of the award include David Pollock from Georgia. Of course, now he's on ESPN's college football team, uh, a part of the college game day crew. Uh, James Laurinaitis from Ohio State won the award. Uh, Actually, a number of Big Ten players have won the award, including Laurinaitis. J.J. Watt out of Wisconsin took home the award. Uh, Josie Jewell from Iowa. Uh, Jabril Peppers from Michigan. They have all won the award. Uh, And again, Carl Nassib of Penn State. Uh, a couple other notable winners include Luke Keekley from Boston College, Mante Teo from Notre Dame. Uh, who else won? Josh Allen from Kentucky. We remember his performance against Penn State a couple years ago in the bowl game. Uh, Josh Allen took home that award as well. And last year's winner of the award was Derek Brown from Auburn. So uh, a good, good 
handful of Big Ten players have won the award. Again, one Penn State player, so Michael Parsons is looking to become the second winner of the award. I haven't looked at the entire watch list, and I don't get too carried away with watch lists uh, in the offseason because players can always be added to watch lists, and obviously players will be trimmed from the watch list as they move forward towards their semifinalists and their finalists and stages uh, during the season. Uh, so we'll see uh, where Micah Parsons stacks up as the season rolls along. But I do suspect that we're going to hear his name on a couple other watch lists that are still to come later this summer. Speaking of the upcoming college football season and getting uh, into preview mode, you may have noticed some of the college football preview magazines have started to hit the newsstands recently. And that is always a welcome sign. I know when I go to the grocery store, I at this time of year, I always make sure I go down the aisle that sells the magazines every now and then just to see what is out there right now. I know Athlon Sports is out there. I think I saw Street and Smith. I'm always curious to see which preview magazines you guys prefer. I know I love the Athlon Sports <laughs> magazine, and I'm not just saying this because I am a contributor to Athlon Sports, but I've been a long fan of the Athlon Sports uh, college football preview magazines that have come out. And I, I think last year they did away with all of the conference branded previews. I don't know if they had a Big Ten preview. I think they just had the national preview. I think they still have an SEC preview, but you know, I think uh, they probably make more off the SEC preview than they did some of the other conference previews. But uh, the, the Athlon Sports Preview Magazine is out there. I haven't had a chance to go through it yet. I am going to try and reach out to someone in Athlon Sports, see if we can bring them on and kind of talk about Penn State and maybe some other Big Ten preview kind of things going into the next season. We'll talk about the Preview Magazine as well. I know if you follow Phil Steele on Twitter, he's already been putting it out there and he put out a notice uh, just the other day that his Preview Magazine, which a lot of people consider the Bible of college football previews, I don't necessarily fall into that category anymore uh, because I don't think that uh, an abundance of information is necessarily all that much better the way that it's laid out. But uh, nonetheless, the Phil Steele College Football Preview, it is still one of the things that uh, every member of the College Football Media looks forward to. He has a lot of support and certainly he's at ESPN. So he's going to be very notable when it comes to his premium magazine, but it looks like he is having a later production. Uh, I'm guessing maybe it's impacted by the COVID-19 uh, stuff that's been going on and a lot of delays there, but uh, it looks like he's getting close to having those finishing touches made and they will be going to print fairly soon. So if you look forward to that Phil Steele uh, college football preview, it looks like that's going to be coming relatively soon. So keep an eye out for that one as well. Over on footballscoop.com, they are currently going through the 20 most important assistant coaching hires of the offseason. Now, they're up to number eight. They haven't listed any Penn State assistant coaches, at least yet. I don't know if they will, but just throwing this out there, former Penn State offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead was listed as the number eight most important uh, assistant coaching hire of the offseason. And I'm a little surprised that it's that low, to be honest with you. I'm very curious to see where they go with the rest of that list. But I uh, figured Joe Moorhead was going to be in there, certainly in the upper half. And that is the case here. Uh, we know how important Joe Moorhead is as an offensive coordinator. We saw the impact that he had at Penn State in a relatively short period of time, but it was quite a period of time for Penn State football. Obviously, having guys like Saquon Barkley helped, and of course, Trace McSorley. But the offense really needed uh, some new mindsets as far as play calling was concerned, and Joe Moore had brought that. And that was a big benefit to Penn State and a big reason why they were so successful during the couple of years that Joe Moorhead was 
uh, the offensive coordinator. Obviously, he went on to be the head coach of Mississippi State. Did not work out for him down at Starkville. Uh, they canned him pretty early on after the Egg Bowl loss. And uh, now he is going to Oregon, where he's going to be the offensive coordinator there. And I think it's a great fit for him. I think it's going to be a really fun team to watch. Uh, I think I've, I think the world of Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon, and I think he's going to do some really good things with Oregon moving forward. Uh, they, they could very well be a playoff contender this season. I'm not going to say a candidate or a favorite, but they could be a contender. And if they can get that win against Ohio State early on in the year, uh, then we'll talk. But I do think that um, you know, Mario Cristobal has a good firm hand on where Oregon is going to the back back to the top of the Pac-12 and I think bringing in Joe Moorhead is really going to help that offense continue to uh, be dynamic it's going to be a fun Oregon team like it was at their heyday under Chip Kelly I think Joe Moorhead isn't Chip Kelly but I do think offensively uh, Oregon's going to be pretty fun to watch even though they've got a new quarterback uh, so yeah he's the number eight uh, on the list of the footballscoop.com top 20 most important assistant coaching hires of the offseason. We'll keep a tabs on that list to see if they do throw in a Penn State assistant coach, but you know, we'll just we'll just move on from that one right now. And then I'll, I'm going to end this one a little bit on a serious note. The National Football Foundation has had their campaign of football matters since 2014. Obviously, in light of recent events and the uh, the groundswelling of support for the Black Lives Matter movement that's been uh, really raging on in, uh, in widespread fashion over the last couple of weeks, the National Football Foundation has decided to drop the Football Matters campaign entirely. They're going to put together a new campaign, go with a new model, motto and everything, um, but it was a little bit of an interesting development that happened here, and I don't know exactly what inspired them to change it because obviously it's a you know it's a different campaign altogether but i think they realize that now with all the attention that's given to the black lives matter campaign you know maybe you know, having something that says football matters comes off a little wrong i i don't know if wrong is the right way to say it but maybe off-putting or maybe uh diminishing i don't know but for whatever reason, they decided that it was best for them to move in a new direction for their campaign to promote the values of football. And, you know, if you look into the Football Matters campaign, obviously there is a good outline of what they're trying to get at and the importance of football in the lives of uh, young players and you know, the, the foundations that can be built through uh, playing football and being a part of football. I think there are a lot of good values that they can build on, which is the whole point of the National Football Foundation. That's what they try to strive for, uh, the, the benefits of being a part of uh, football. Uh, so obviously they're going to come up with a new campaign and organize that and hopefully they'll have something soon. But it was pretty interesting. Now, I don't know if this is directly related, but Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney, uh, recently caught into a, a lot of controversy online uh, as he tends to do sometimes because he was spotted wearing one of those football matters t-shirts uh, which apparently he wears often as he's just trying to promote the national football foundation's football matters campaign but uh, in this day and age with so much that's been going on with the uh, the protests and the peaceful demonstrations and you know some unfortunately some of the more uh, violent acts that have been associated or lumped in with the whole Black Lives Matter movement that's been going across across the country on a daily basis, being spotted wearing a Football Matters T-shirt comes off a little tone deaf, I guess some would say. 
Uh, so once again, Dabo Sweeney is coming out and he's he's not necessarily painting himself in the best light, I think, from a national perspective. And I think he's caught in a lot of heat for that. And that's why he put out a video recently uh, about you know addressing some of the criticisms that have been thrown his way and some of the controversies, quote controversies, that have been put out there. I don't think necessarily Dabo Swinney was doing anything wrong, especially if he if he wears the shirt all the time. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a tone deaf thing, but I think being spotted and, and taking photos with people while wearing that shirt in the height of this Black Lives Matters thing, I, I think is what's rubbing some people the wrong way. And you know, certainly the National Football Foundation decided that they needed to drop their campaign of Football Matters. Maybe it's best not for a head coach to be wearing a Football Matters t-shirt out in public. I'm just saying, I think it all goes hand in hand. Uh, I'm not saying it's directly related, but it does seem like a little bit of a coincidence that this all has happened uh, within a a significant time frame that's all tied together. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what where we go from here, but I do know that uh, there will be no more Football Matters campaign from the National Football Foundation. Anyway, that's all for me today, guys. Thank you so much for hanging with me and sitting back and relaxing and enjoying me talk about Penn State and some college football topics and conversation. I always want to make sure we have a podcast that is worth for you guys coming back and listening and making sure you are subscribing, reading, and reviewing. Let us know how we're doing. Again, you can subscribe to this podcast on all the various podcasting apps such as iTunes and Spotify. We're on all the podcasting platforms right now like iHeartRadio and Overcast and Google Podcasts. You name it, we're on it. So subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know how we're doing. And, of course, always make sure you're following us on social media by giving us a follow on Twitter at LockedOnNittany, a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany, and check out our Instagram page at Instagram.com slash LockedOnNittany. I actually did not get a chance to talk about the Twitch channel, but it's Twitch.tv slash LockedOnNittany. Stay tuned to that right now. I'm going to be updating the channel in the next couple of days, and we're going to have some test streams where I'm just going to hop on the camera, maybe mess with a couple settings, but talk to you guys as well. So uh, stay tuned to that. I'll have the alerts for when we go live, streaming right to our Twitter account as well, and I think on Facebook too. So we'll have some of that going on, and we've also got some Instagram Live videos that we're going to be throwing into the mix as well. So if you follow us on Instagram Live, make sure you've got your notifications turned on so you can find out when we go live, and you can be a part of our little Q&A and live stream as well on there. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to get more of a Big Ten fix, make sure you check out the Locked On Big Ten podcast. I was a guest on there last week, so make sure you go back and listen to that. But, of course, we've got a lot of Big Ten conversation going on, getting ready for the upcoming season. So check out the Locked On Big Ten podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can tell your smart devices to play that at any time. That's all for me. I'm Kevin McGuire. Give me a follow on Twitter at KevinOnCFB. And until next time, everybody, have a great day. I'll talk to you again soon. 